<laughs> Hello, church family. Good morning. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. We always want to welcome you, each and every one of you, faces that we see all the time, faces that are joining us for the first time this morning. Welcome. Uh, you are loved. You are welcome here. We are thankful for you. Uh, how are you doing this morning? How has this week gone? Okay, let's do that. Let's try this. I don't think I've ever done this before. Let's use uh, both hands. Scale of one to ten. Zero is zero. Ten is the best day you've ever had in your life. Okay, hold up. How are you doing this week? How are you doing this morning? How has your week gone? Let me see what we got going here. See some high numbers. I see some medium numbers. Oh, wow, I even saw a thumbs down. That wasn't an option. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't use that scale. I, just <laughs> no. I mean, we have some fun with that, but um, that's about right, isn't it? That the, that the range is kind of all over the map for us in a church family, and, and perhaps you've even felt like that within your week. Um, and at the risk of repeating myself... Um, you know, from week to week or, or whatever. I just, I'm thankful for you this morning, church family. Thankful for an opportunity to gather together. Uh, thankful for an opportunity to seek Jesus together. Uh, the work that God has called me to do is, for the most part, a great joy. And then at times there's challenges, like everything else. Um, my family and our individual lives is a lot of joy, and as with many of you, there are challenges, uh, ups and downs and difficulties and things that we go through. Um, and then even as I think about our church family, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and as, I received, as we received prayer requests this week, sometimes we as a staff or elders receive those and pray for you. Sometimes we receive those in a manner that, we, that invite us to pass them along to you, and you receive those via email so that you can pray. And I know many of the, of the needs that we have as a church family are, are not necessarily known. But God sees you. And God knows very much and loves very much. And so we, uh, one of the things we have an opportunity to do as a church family is to lift one another up. Because there's a range of zeros to tens. And we can rejoice with the tens. And we can pray for the zeros. Father in heaven, thank you that you are a God who is near to us and who knows us, and whether our prayer requests have been shared with others or not, you see and know and care. So God, I pray for all of us this morning that we would lean into you, no matter our circumstances, no matter how many fingers we put up, no matter what the circumstances are that led to those, would we know your goodness and your faithfulness your presence with us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, well, there, are, there is a table in the lobby of books that we've been given away. So many of you have heard this uh, plenty of times in recent weeks, but just want to remind you, there's a book uh, called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland uh, that we uh, got 200 free copies of and have had the opportunity to bless you and pass that along. And so... Um, we're, we're seven weeks into uh, a series that we've called The Heart of Christ, where we're asking God to teach us from Scripture passages about 
Jesus' heart for us. What, what is, who is Jesus at the core? What is he all about? What is his posture toward us? And so these books um, were given away. They're in the lobby. They're outside in the carport. For those of you joining us online, if you want to drive by sometime this week and grab one, you can. Um, but how many of you, okay, I know, I know that all of you have them because a lot of them have disappeared. So how many of you have a copy of Gentle and Lowly? Excellent. Here's the tricky question. How many of you have read some of the copy of Gen- Hey, awesome. That's, enc- that's encouraging. Um, how many of you have read more than five chapters of Gentle and Lowly so far? Okay, okay, nice. That's, enc- that's good. Um, how, have you felt like God has encouraged you or spoken to you at all as you've kind of read that and followed along with our Sunday times together? See some nods. I would love to hear more about that. If you, um, if you have a moment, I would invite you to take a moment to send an email uh, to the church office or to me personally, um, info at faithchurchdallas.org or Derek at faithchurchdallas.org, and let us know how, what are you learning? What are you hearing from the Lord? What's stood out to you as you've, as you've read through that? Um, I'd love to hear how God's working in your life and, and, um, and how that's going. We, we are using that book. Uh, we've invited, given those free copies to you and invited you to follow along in Gentle and Lowly, and we've thought about that really as a supplement, uh, additional reading to the more important opportunity we have every Sunday morning to go to God's Word and hear from His Word what He has for us each time we gather together, and hopefully you going to God's Word in your daily life as well, hearing from the Lord first and then using that book um, as a supplement. And so our hope is that that's been a, a good opportunity to draw near to the Lord. So our series, we, we entitled The Heart of Christ. And I already mentioned, it's, it's who is Jesus at the core? What is he all about? What is his posture toward us? And, um, and one of the things that the author is good about is, is bringing up this topic of, well, is, is this all there is to Jesus, this gentleness, this lowliness that we're considering these weeks and in, in the book, the, the, his posture toward us? Is that all there is to Jesus? No. No. The Bible teaches us the fullness of who Jesus is. And, 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 and is, the, is, uh, is it true of our God and our rescuer that there, are, there is justice and that there is um, consequences for sin? And that God's wrath is poured out to sin? Yes, that is true of our God. But it doesn't, it doesn't take away, it doesn't give us, you know, it doesn't take away from the opportunity we have to, to consider who Jesus is um, at the heart. And so one of the questions that you may sometimes raise in your life as you study the Bible and you hear who Jesus is and you hear who God the Father is, sometimes there's a tendency to go, well, is it just Jesus that's gentle and lowly and nice to me, but God is mean and wrathful and hates me? And even if I overstated it a little bit just now, do we sometimes struggle with that at all? Or do we see from the scriptures the pictures of Jesus and God and wonder what's going on there? Well, let me, let's, let's look at the screen at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and see what this has to tell us about our Heavenly Father. Blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So I'm going to stop there for a minute and just go, there's a window into the heart of our Heavenly Father, the posture of our Father's love for us. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And there's a lot to go in these verses. We'll, we'll, we're not really going to stay here for long, but just continuing there, look what it says. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, you zeros and ones and twos and threes this week, you have a heavenly Father who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves were comforted by God. We have this opportunity, it's a tongue twister there if you're not careful, but right? But God pours his love out to us and we have an opportunity to overflow that love to others. And God is a God of mercy to us in our affliction, in our sin, in our rebellion against him. He is the father of mercies and we receive that mercy. We receive his compassion, his love and, and, um, and his comfort. And we have an opportunity to share that with those around us. Because the last part there is, is perhaps a tough reminder at times, but a good reminder. For as in Christ, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, our zeros, ones, twos, threes, fours remind us of the difficulties of life and the afflictions that we face and the difficulties we go through. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Jesus we share abundantly in comfort. So I hope that's an encouragement to you this morning. Because we have, a, we have a God who is three in one, one in three. There is one God. We serve and worship one God who we know to be in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three co-equal, co-existent persons. And so, yes, in our series, we are emphasizing the heart of Christ. We are taking especially a look at the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the God-man, Jesus, and we're, and we're learning about his heart for us. But the Bible also teaches us there on the screen and in many places about the heart of the Father, the creator of all things, the almighty God who is a Father of mercies and a God of all comfort. And speaking of the Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, Spirit, we want to um, take a look this morning and consider the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God himself, the Spirit who lives within those who are followers of Jesus. We want to turn in our Bibles, grab your Bible and open to John chapter 16. And this morning we're going to take a few minutes looking at this passage in John chapter 16 with the, with the purpose of seeing who is the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit's activity in the world and in our lives, and, and how might our looking at who the Holy Spirit is inform, inform us a bit this morning about the heart of Jesus for us? So open your Bible, open your Bible app, find John chapter 16. I'm going to start reading at verse 5. We'll read a few verses, take a closer look, read a few verses more, etc., etc. John 16, starting at verse 5. Jesus speaking. But now... I am going to him who sent me. Who sent Jesus? God, the Father. So Jesus speaking, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you, he's speaking to his followers, his, some of his closest friends, his disciples. He speaks to them and says, none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, Jesus says, that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the helper, this is referring to God the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, Jesus says, I will send the Spirit to you. Jesus says to his closest friends who have been hanging out with him, Jesus says to them, it is to your advantage that I go away. And put ourselves in the shoes for a moment. Would this be welcome news? Would, it, would our initial reaction be positive to Jesus saying, I'm out of here. I got to go. I'm going back to the Father who sent me. I, I, would, I, mean, I would think if we put ourselves in, the, in these shoes, that that would be difficult to hear at first. And, and from the passage, the disciples' hearts have been filled with sorrow. So yes, it is difficult for them to understand and to be uh, ready for this as well. Jesus said it's to their advantage that he leaves. This has got to be hard to believe. I mean, even if we set aside for a second what's happening in this passage, this interaction between Jesus and his disciples about the fact that Jesus is going away, just put yourself in your own life circumstances for a minute. What, what are situations where someone leaves and it's difficult for you? Are there, are there situations in your lives like that? Anyone ever have a loved family member or friend come for a visit or stay in your home or be there for some number of maybe just hours or maybe days and then it's time to, for them to leave? Anyone ever had a child grow up, turn 18, be looking at colleges, even though it's still a year away, possibly going to move out of the house? I don't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Anybody had any difficulty with that circumstance about someone going away? Perhaps, of course, more seriously would be the, the example of, of someone losing a loved one, the passing away, the death of a loved one, seeing them go away. I'm sure you can think of other circumstances in your, just in your human interactions where there's someone who is going away or has left, and then where does that put us? What's our reaction to that? And so here you have... Jesus' disciples, his closest friends, uh, who have been, had the privilege, the benefit, the blessing, we think this incredible advantage of hanging out with God himself, right? Jesus is speaking to his friends who have had the opportunity for three years to walk and eat and hang out and watch God teach and watch Jesus heal and perform miracles and comfort them and lead them and show them what's ahead. And now Jesus says, I'm going away. And so their hearts are filled with sorrow, the text says. We can, we can put ourselves in their shoes and imagine the, the coming sadness, the, the, the perhaps even panic that they would have had as they look around their circumstances and the persecution of Christians and the way that Jesus has been handled, and now he's going to leave them behind. So what's Jesus talking about? I mean, I know we already kind of know the punchline. We just read it in the scriptures. But what's Jesus talking about when he says to his disciples, and he means it, it's to your advantage that I leave. It's to your advantage. Well, of course, he goes on to explain himself that it's because he wants to send the Spirit to us, that he wants to send God the Spirit to us. So how is that an advantage? Because the Spirit, God himself, the Spirit, living within believers in Jesus, would now be alongside the disciples, better than alongside, inside the disciples, 
helping, encouraging, guiding, directing. And of course, what's this advantage to Jesus leaving? That the Spirit is not limited to physical presence. That the Spirit is not limited by a physical body like Jesus was. That the Spirit of God will be present with you everywhere and at all times. And so Jesus reminds us, that's an advantage. That I go and send you, followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. So let's keep going in the passage. Verse 8, John 16, verse 8. Jesus still speaking, and now referring to the Holy Spirit, and now teaching us some of what the Spirit role is, what the Spirit is about, what the, what the Spirit comes to do. John 16, verse 8. And when he, the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's really right there. That's the three, 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 those three things are kind of the overview of what we want to just take the next few minutes to look at a little more closely. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning one, sin, two, righteousness, and three, judgment. And then he explains a little further in verses 9 and following. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Spirit comes to bring, increase our awareness of sin, righteousness, and judgment. This passage is teaching us that the Holy Spirit makes us aware. In fact, I would say this is one of the best things that could happen as a follower of Jesus who receives the Spirit, who is, who is under the Spirit's direction and conviction. I would say one of the best things that could come of this would be what this passage teaches, that the Holy Spirit makes us aware of our need for God. May the Spirit, not just for those who don't yet know Jesus, yes, we want the Spirit to bring that conviction upon those who need Jesus, but for those of you that are already walking with Jesus, my prayer would be that God would bring home the reality of the guilt of our sin, our rebellion against him, that, that he has his best ways that he set aside and that he wants for us, and we give him the Heisman, we tell him to take a hike, we, we go completely the other direction. May, may the Spirit of God bring, increase our awareness of our sin so that we'd recognize our need and so that we put ourselves at the mercy of God for his forgiveness, his rescue, his transformation, and the new life that is found in Jesus. So verse 9 says that the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin. You know, for those of you that are not yet followers of Jesus, or for the, those in your lives that are not followers of Jesus, there may not at first, you know, be kind of an awareness of sin. I think that, I think that, the, that it's, it's, a, it's a scary thought to kind of think, well, I don't really know. I don't think I really sin. I don't see where I go against God. I, maybe I'm blinded to that. Maybe I'm oblivious to that. There are those that are not followers of Jesus that might not think they have sin, but this passage is, is saying that the Spirit will come to bring awareness of a need for Jesus. That, this, that, that, the spirit, that it is a sin not to believe in Jesus. As the Holy Spirit works, the Holy Spirit convicts, the emphasis will be on helping people to see 
the need they have to find Jesus, to put their trust in Jesus and not themselves, to realize that we can't do it on our own, that we can't save ourselves, that we don't match up, that we need to set ourselves aside and make Jesus King and Master and Lord of our life. So that's the first thing as we look at these three things that are mentioned here in John of what the Spirit wants to make people aware of, you and I included, the first thing we need to do is come to grips with the fact that we fall short of God's grace, of of God's goodness, of his character, that we go against him, that we choose our own way, that we'd rather stick it to him because we've got it under control. The first grace of God that could come because of the Holy Spirit's work in your life and my life would be recognition that we fall short, that we sin, that we need God. Verse 10 says, concerning righteousness, the Spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, Jesus says. So the second thing here is the Holy Spirit convinces us that our own righteousness, our own behavior, our own ability to match up to God's perfection falls way short. God wants us to be aware of our sin. And the second thing concerning righteousness, the Holy Spirit is convincing our hearts and minds that our own righteousness does not even come close to Jesus' righteousness. I mean, we talk all the time, don't we, about the fact that if if we are left to ourselves as humans, if 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 we default to our own tendencies and the way we go about things, we're gonna try to work for it. We're going to try to earn it. We're going to try to strive and match up and behave in such a way that maybe God will like me enough. If I could just follow the rules, if I could just get my act together in hopes of meeting God's righteous standard. But church family, how does that go? Good, there's chuckling. How does that go? Not well. If in our own efforts, pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, hoping that we can be good enough, that doesn't go well. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has already done. Jesus lived the life that we cannot live. He lived a perfect, sinless life before God. He died the death that we deserve. He died the death his death on the cross on our behalf to pay the penalty for our sin. His sinlessness did not merit that punishment, but he took our sin upon himself, lived the life that we cannot, died the death that we deserved, and was raised from the dead, giving victory over sin, victory over death, and showing us that we too can have life because of God's work. So Jesus says there, you know, I want the Spirit to convict about righteousness because I go to the Father. He, Jesus is, is ascended, uh, is, is risen from the dead and ascends into heaven. One of the commentators that I studied this week about this passage, one of the commentators wrote that resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, is evidence of the type of man that God accepts. Okay, think about that for a second. If Jesus' resurrection... Is, is, is evidence or is proof or is, is pointing at the type of man, the type of person that God accepts, I'm in trouble. That's what I first kind of, I couldn't help but think of is, well, if that's the kind of person that God accepts, then aren't we in trouble? That would be bad news for us to think of it that way. 
But of course, the Bible has lots more to say. Look on the screen at Philippians 3. We have an opportunity because of the cross. We have an opportunity to be found in Jesus, to put our faith and our trust in him, to not try to live on our own strength, but to to trust and put faith in Jesus. And when we find ourselves in Jesus, look at the scripture on the screen. It says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, not having a righteousness I can boast on, not having a righteousness that I checked the boxes, I did the religious things, I matched up, I strived, I behaved, and look at these brownie points I earned from God. No, Philippians says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, rule-following, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The first thing we wanted to see is our sin. We need the Spirit to help us recognize our rebellion against him. The second thing is that we need to become convinced of Jesus' righteousness. Do we see Jesus as our perfect rescuer, the one whose sacrifice is once and for all, who bring, who's the only one able to bring about God's free gift of salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. Verse 11. Verse 11 says, the Spirit will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world is referring to Satan there. That phrase in, in verse 11 is referring to Satan, the evil one. Because Satan will be judged, we know this to be true from the story of the Bible, that the, the, the evil one is already on, under God's thumb and only able to do what God allows him to do. And we know from the end of the story that he will be, that his defeat, the evil one's defeat is already assured, that he's lost, that he will be vanquished, because we know that Satan is and will be judged, then we are, need to be reminded by this passage that there is such a thing as judgment. Another role of the Holy Spirit is to convince the world about that reality, that there will come a time when we will stand before God, and, and now on the screen in the words of our statement of faith, that we will stand before a God who will judge the world Assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment. And assigning the believer in Jesus to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth. It is to your advantage that I go, Jesus says. And that's hard to see at first. He says, it's to your advantage that I go, because if I go, I can send the Spirit, and the Spirit will convict the world, increasing our awareness of our sin, the righteousness of Jesus, and the reality of coming judgment. Let's keep going in the passage, John 16, starting or at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus says, but you cannot bear them now. I think it's too late for that. <laughs> Do you already feel like you can't bear what he's already been talking about? Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, though, he will guide you into all the truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit of God will glorify me, Jesus says, for the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is a, that's a great summary right there of something we see throughout the Scripture, that a key role of the Holy Spirit, if you had to sum up more briefly the many things that we see in the scriptures of what the Spirit does, what his role is, what his activity is, if we had to sum it up, I mean, perhaps one of the best ways to sum it up would be that the Spirit of God gives glory to Jesus. That the Spirit of God moves and acts and prompts and guides in such a way that we will see Jesus and give him glory. What Jesus said, those verses we just read, what Jesus says, the Spirit declares to us. When we open our Bible, the Spirit of God within us illuminates what God has to say. Illuminates meaning makes us see it, makes it uh, able to be known. The Spirit of God points to Jesus, glorifies Jesus, so therefore he, he helps us to understand when we go to God's word and we study from this to understand the truth of the scriptures and, and, to, and the spirit reinforces the, all the things that Jesus said. So we know that among many, many things that Jesus said and taught, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. That no one comes to the Father. No one gets to God. But through me, Jesus said. And the spirit puts that truth that reality impresses that upon us. What is true about Jesus is made real to us, is, is made so that we can experience it by the work of the Holy Spirit. So do we recognize our sin? Do we see the righteousness of Jesus? Do we understand the reality of coming judgment. The gospel, the gospel good news that the Bible teaches and that we here at Faith Church remind each other frequently, the gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners like you and I through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel good news that the Bible teaches and that we remind each other, and we remind each other frequently. And we remind each other frequently on purpose. Because, because of all the, the difficult things that we had to absorb this morning about what the Spirit comes to convict our hearts, we now get to celebrate together that the gospel is the good news that Jesus, that, that God rescues sinners like me who have rebelled against him, that he's rescued me from sin and death, that he's forgiven my sin, that he's made me new, that he's transforming me into a new person, that he's doing that for those of you that walk with Christ. He's doing that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In Christ, our sin is forgiven, and, and God sees not our mess but what God now sees when he looks at us, when those of you that are in Christ, that have surrendered your life to Christ, that have put your faith in Jesus and recognized you can't live on your own, but you need him, and you've said, Jesus, lead me, 
Now when God looks upon you, he doesn't see the mess of sin and rebellion that is in your heart. What he now sees when he looks at you is the sinless perfection of our rescuer, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, his righteousness. So the, at the, because of the cross, Jesus, the, the God-man without sin, went to the cross took your sin and my sin upon him, forgiving our sin, taking away our sin, and giving us God's gift of salvation because now God sees his sinless, righteous perfection instead of our failures. Church family, that's good news. So, are we convicted of our sin by the Holy Spirit's work in our life? Do we see the righteousness of Christ? Do we know that judgment is coming? If so, that's good. If you see your sin, if you see the righteousness of Jesus, if you know the reality of judgment, you know why I think that's good? I think that's good because that tells me the Holy Spirit is probably working in your life. That the Holy Spirit is probably doing what the Holy Spirit does. And so now, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. If you've never before put your faith in Jesus Christ, do it now. Today is the day of your salvation. When you go, what I'm doing isn't working. And what I'm doing leads to eternal conscious punishment. Jesus, I need you. So if the Spirit is working and convicting and helping you to recognize sin and his righteousness and the reality of judgment, come to Jesus. And find life in him. You don't need magic words. You don't need my help. I'd love to talk to you about it. You're welcome to come talk to me about it. Talk to any believer in Jesus near you about it if you want to follow Jesus. But you don't need magic words. What you need is to open your heart and say, God, save me. I believe in Jesus. I know he's rescued me. I know the cross, his life, death, and resurrection. I know I need him. Now, followers of Jesus in the room. If, you're, if the Holy Spirit is making you aware of your sin and, and the righteousness of Christ and the reality of judgment, you too, follower of Jesus, come to Jesus. I, I know it's great that you did it at one point in the past. Do it again. In a daily fashion, when the Spirit makes us aware of our sin and Jesus' righteousness and the reality of judgment, we have an opportunity to come and find rest in our gentle and lowly Savior. And not only does the gospel good news save us from sin, not only does the gospel good news put us back in, or put us in relationship with a holy God, not only does the gospel good news of what Jesus has done, his life, death, and resurrection, not only does that bring about the opportunity for us to receive God's free gift of salvation. But the gospel good news of what Jesus has done continues to be needed, continues to shape and impact our life. We, we have an opportunity to continue to live by the gospel good news because God wants to continue working on us, helping us to live for his glory, transforming us from the inside out, making us into new people, giving us new heart, new mind, new desires as he comes in and remodels the place and makes you into a new person. So, 
here's where we'll wrap up, is this morning, our, our passage in the Scripture seems a lot like the, about the Holy Spirit, right? We've, we've talked a lot about the Spirit and the role of the Spirit. And we might go, well, wait a minute, I thought we were in a series called The Heart of Christ. I thought we were talking about what Jesus feels toward us. I thought we were talking about Jesus' default posture, what, at, what he's all about at his core. Well, here's, here's, here's where our encouragement comes in related to our series, The Heart of Christ. And this is, if you, are, if you did grab the book that we've given away and you are trying to read along with it, this is where I think chapters 13 and 14 this week will encourage you. This is where the author reminds us that the Holy Spirit causes us to actually feel what Christ's heart is for us. So here's a quote from Dane Ortland on the screen. The Holy Spirit makes the heart of Christ real to us. Not just heard, but seen. Not just seen, but felt. Not just felt, but enjoyed. I mean, as you think about that, that quote right there, has this at all been your experience? I think we've heard that Jesus loves us. I think I, 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 I'm pretty sure I could tell you that I, I think it, I believe it, I, 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 I intellectually know it to be true that Jesus loves me. But the Holy Spirit causes our understanding of Jesus' heart. If this is our understanding of Jesus' heart, and this is Jesus' heart for us, the Holy Spirit is, is, is helping that get closer. Right? The Holy Spirit is, is, is allowing us to experience the heart of Christ. What we might know to be true about Jesus, what we might have read in our Bible to be true about the way Jesus feels toward us, because of the Holy Spirit's work, which, by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Period. If you've submitted your life to Christ, then God himself, the Holy Spirit, has come to live within you. You do not have to worry about being without his presence. And if you are a true believer in Jesus who has given your life to Jesus and become a Christian, then you have the Holy Spirit live in, in your life. And so your understanding of God's heart will be increased, experienced, made real by the Spirit's work in your life and transforming you from the inside out. The last verse in our Bible passage this morning is verse 15. Jesus says, All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take, the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, friends, we're in a series called The Heart of Christ, and we're especially looking to God's Word to see what, what, to, what is true about Jesus and his heart toward us. But here's what's also true as we study the whole scope of Scripture, is that what is true about our great and mighty God, creator of the universe, what is true about his heart for you, is true about his son's heart for you, and the Holy Spirit helps us to know that, helps us to really know that, helps us to understand and experience and remember. And here's the last quote. Um, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Uh, let's see, I think there's one more quote on the screen. The Spirit has been given to us in order that we might know, that we might know, understand, experience, Experience way down deep the endless grace of the heart of Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you for an opportunity to be together with church family. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. 
Father, again, no matter how many fingers we use to rate our day, our life, our difficulty, our circumstances, our ups and downs, God, we thank you that you are a God whose love is great and who does not leave us stuck in our sin but comes near to us. So, Father, as you work in our lives, we do pray that you would convict of sin, that you would help us to see the righteousness of Jesus, that you would help us to grapple with the reality of future judgment. And God, as as we think of those things and see those things in your word, and as we consider them and reflect on them, Father, I pray that that would drive us to our knees. I pray for myself and my church family, that our recognition of our sin, our recognition of Jesus, and our understanding of coming judgment would bring us to recognize how much we need you, how, how short we are, how, how we fall so short of you. And God, as we recognize our need, then would that bring us to call out to you, to be thankful for your mercy and your grace. So, Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the gospel good news that Jesus' sinless life, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection makes it possible for us to have new life too. So thank you, God, for your work through Jesus, through the cross. And now as we've considered the Holy Spirit this morning, God, teach us to live by the Holy Spirit. Teach us to walk in step with the Spirit. As the Spirit points to Jesus, would our lives increasingly glorify Jesus? As the Spirit helps us to understand the Scriptures, would our lives increasingly honor you, Father? So God, by your Spirit's work in our life, I pray that we would be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done. Thank you that we can know about his heart But thank you that we can also really know his heart through the presence of your spirit. So Father, as we spend a few more minutes together as a church family, as we conclude our our brief opportunities that Sundays give us to be together, God, I pray that these things that you are doing in our hearts and minds right now would translate into the week ahead, into not just one day a week, but into a daily relationship with you. God, would your spirit that has begun a work in our hearts this morning continue to work in us so that Monday through Saturday we live for you and live for your glory. Would our lives reflect our thankfulness to you as we lift our voices in song, as we come to you each day and study your word, as we say our prayers, as we, as we thank you and think of others in our prayers, as we give our offerings, as we live our lives, as our, as, as our words and actions impact others. God, I pray all of that would be out of a heart of worship, would be out of thankfulness, for your work in our lives, for the glorious good news of the cross, and for the presence of the Spirit in us, helping us to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.